when is it okay to kill a baby? This is a question I asked to a woman in a barbershop whose son had just received a haircut. The woman had just proclaimed she was pro-choice. And upon asking her, when is it okay to kill a baby in the womb? Her seven-year-old son responded, never. I said, you have a very smart son, ma'am, which led me to ask a simple eye-opening question. What led me to add, ask such a question? Well, that question came from one of my all-time favorite evangelistic preachers and mentors, and we will hear from him today. Join us as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. I'm Phil, the Bronx Expositor, with my co-host, Glenroy, the West Indian wordsmith, and all the way from the West Coast, once again, not Mark Spence, but someone very close to him, but someone who is actually born on the island of New Zealand, my friend and brother in Christ, Ray Comfort. How are you today, Ray Comfort? I'm wonderful, and I'd better correct your geography. There's actually a couple of islands in New Zealand, so you'll start a war if you just say there's one island. Yes, I actually was studying. I looked up, and there's various islands. There's kind of like a north and a south. Yes, uh, there's the North Island. I'm from the South Island, which we call the mainland, kind of jokingly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's two islands, and there's a little one at the bottom, plus a whole stack of little. Gotcha. So, and now you're, and you're, so you went from Southern New Zealand, and now you're in Southern California. Yeah, Southern Comfort. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. Um, and as well, I was going to say that uh, it's not just one island, but it's several. And I believe I heard you say that there's more sheep than people. Yeah, there's like between 50 and 60 million sheep and 4 million people. But they're not sure of the exact amount because the guy that counts them keeps falling asleep. Thanks for setting it up. <laughs> No problem. So it was back in 1997. Someone was discipling me and played Hell's Best Kept Secret. It riveted me because uh, I suffered with what you call, Ray, evangelical frustration, which consisted of my angst of not knowing how are people getting saved and unsaved and saved again. Uh, and I called it yo-yo Christianity. Yeah, well, that's right. It's like uh, musical cheers. It, right. It's, it was, I, the statistics frustrated me. And if you go fishing and 80% of your fish get away, you've got to look at your net. There's something wrong with your net. And there certainly was something wrong with the, um, the gospel net. And I thank God that 1982, August, September, I discovered it and it blew me away. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Still am. How did that happen for you? Well, I was, I was suffering from that disease. I knew that 80 to 90% fall, fell away from the faith. I knew what was happening in our local church, so I knew the statistics weren't kind of made up. And one Friday night, I was sitting in, a, in my office as an assistant pastor, and I read the words of Charles Spurgeon in a book, and it blew me away. He said, what would you do when the law comes in terror, when the trumpet of the archangel shall tear you from your grave, when the eyes of God shall burn their way into your guilty soul, when the book shall be opened and all your sin and shame shall be punished? Can you stand against an angry law in that day? And I remember thinking, whoa, that's a little different from God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I thought, what is Spurgeon doing? Is he using the law, the Ten Commandments, to, to cause sinners to tremble and see the need of forgiveness? So I just tucked that in my memory banks. Had to go away itinerating that weekend, about 100 miles from our home. I was sitting, studying my Bible, and I 
I looked at Galatians 3.24 and the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but I misread it. I didn't read it as the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I read it as this in my subconscious. The law, it was Israel's schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. I thought, it doesn't mm. say that. It says, was our. I thought, wonder if it is legitimate to do what Spurgeon was doing and use the Ten Commandments, the moral law to bring the knowledge of sin. So it was a very cold day and there were thermal pools in the area. So I went and sat in a thermal pool by myself and I just prayed the right person to come and sit next to me. And I remember a big guy came and sat next to me. And so when I shared my testimony, I didn't say, and Jesus filled the God-shaped vacuum in my heart. I went through the Ten Commandments and said, man, I'd broken them. I was in big trouble on Judgment Day. And Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. He took the punishment, paid my fine. And the guy stood to his feet. And I'll never forget this. He was steaming because it was so cold and we were in a thermal pool. And he looked at me and he said, I've never heard that put so clearly in all my life. I thought, oh, the schoolmaster just taught him. The law brought the understanding, which is so necessary for someone to come to Christ. So then I began to study the gospel proclamation of Wesley, Spurgeon, Moody, Whitfield, Luther, others that God used. And they all said, if you do not use the law to bring the knowledge of sin, you will fill the church with false converts. And that's mm. exactly what happened. I remember thinking, man, if I start preaching this and teaching this, I'm going to be outcasted as a legalist. But the exact opposite happened. Doors opened in Hawaii to teach. Doors opened in the U.S., invite to the U.S. Pastor showed a video to 30,000 other pastors. And Kirk Cameron got involved in a in TV program. It's just been quite an amazing ride for which I'm very humbled. Wow. Amen. I mean, that's just an incredible thing. Um, I mean, it seemed like these uh, old dead preachers uh, seem to all be on the same page. Um you know uh, the ones, the ones that you mentioned: Luther, Whitfield, Spurgeon. Uh, these, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. I, I love reading these guys. <laughs> um, I got to confess something here. Yes. When I wrote books and did teachings or videos, people come up to me and say, "Man, you must be so well read. You know, you get so many quotes from these guys. It's just incredible." What actually happened is, I would itinerate. I go to a pastor's church, pray with a pastor. He said, "Well, you're on in half an hour." I says, "Can I see your library?" He said, yeah, it's through there. I go into his library and I'd look for books with my nose. I wouldn't look for books with my eyes. I'd look for, I'd look for those smelly old dusty books that are like 150 years old. Get them down and I'd just open the page at the, at the uh, chapters. And wherever it said how to bring the knowledge of sin or repentance to sinners, I'd open up that chapter and flick through. And there it was. Somebody with the same spirit that I have had underlined all the relevant portions about the law bringing the knowledge of sin. It was so consistent. So I'd slab it on a photocopier and put it in a book. And I did it so many times, it made me look like a great theologian. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we all borrow from each other, but uh, borrowing from some of these great men of the faith, um, you know, that's, that's an incredible thing. And uh, like when I was in Bible college, I had asked my theology professor, how can somebody get unsaved and be saved again? And, I said, when does it stick? I said, I know I've sinned against God by being a believer, but I can't imagine walking away from Christ. It, 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 I don't have it in me. I, he, he, you know, he's got the words of everlasting life, like Peter said. Mm. And uh, then I started discipling a young man and he had the whole hell's best kept secret audio cassettes. I just dated myself, right? Audio cassette. What, what's, what's an audio cassette? What, what's going on here? I was with you guys until that point. <laughs> yeah. And then I, in one week, I listened to all 16 audio cassettes, you know, and I, I felt like I was like, a, like a man who was about to go to the electric chair. I was just starving and I just kept eating and eating and eating like it was my last spiritual meal on earth. And I just fell in love with the truth. Uh, all over again. And I began to look at the Bible through a lens that I had never seen it before. Um, seeing long grace in its proper context. I had no idea. And I mean, it just, I, I started to really grow in leaps and bounds um, from that point. And one of my friends, uh, he called me Turner Burn. <laughs> um, you know, when I would bring people to the law and I explained, you know, it's, it's not about producing fear filled, but tear filled, you know, but using the law and evangelism. And so um that was just a glorious time. And I've been following your ministry ever since. 
and got to come down to California and I played ping pong with you. Did you um, win? I came in second. You came in second. <laughs> you know, uh, every, we still do. We've gone back to ping pong. We were stopped it for a few years because of COVID and that. Right. Last month or so, we've gone back to ping pong. And my staff know if I ever walk into the staff room when they're working and say, man, Scott, he's so good at ping pong. He's brilliant. They know I just beat him. <laughs> so it's so i gotta i gotta i gotta translate for some people here so you were listen you listen to cassettes and he yes. photocopies he doesn't he doesn't scan it he doesn't well, yeah, go online he photocopies you so i write him out with a typewriter <laughs> uh, we went on my horse and cart down to the library so, so you, you don't you don't instagram it okay got it <laughs> uh so what led you to leave the beautiful island of new zealand to go to California. You're saying what brought me to California? Yeah, from I mean, you left beautiful New Zealand and you came it to California. A, it was a 747. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was teaching in Hawaii. I remember um, I was driving through the North Island of New Zealand and I, with a guy, had his radio on. Um, Brother, do you know what a radio is? Yeah, a radio. And I heard an advertisement. It said, uh, get a Hawaii return for $700 New Zealand, which was really cheap. So I felt a quickening in my spirit. Went home to Sue and I said, want to get a Hawaii? She said, I just read this, mo- this morning some reading about palm trees. I said, that'll do. So I wrote to YWAM, missionary organization, said, I itinerate, uh, written a few books. Could I teach? And they said, sure. And they invited me back seven times. And one of those mm. seven times, a pastor from California sat in the teaching, totally disagreed because he was all grace and no law. But mm. as he began studying it, he thought, this is biblical. This is filled. The book of Romans is filled with this right through. And uh, he began to call me in New Zealand for no reason and just chat. And then one day he said, we feel God is uh, speaking to us to invite you to a, a Basha ministry in Southern California, specifically to bring the teaching to the church of the U.S. So he prayed about it. And over a three-day period, 13 really weird things happened to confirm mm. that we were to leave our home, hometown and, and our city and live in California. And we've never looked back. Mm. Wow. Amen. I, I was, I was out uh, at a train station preaching one time and I had on a voice of the martyrs uh, t-shirt and a guy came out of the train station and he says, why do you have a voice of the martyrs t-shirt? And I started telling him about the ministry. I said, you've heard of it. And he said, yes, I'm the director from New Zealand. Ah. I said, Oh, from New Zealand. I said, one of my favorite preachers from there, Ray comfort. Oh, I know Ray. Yeah. He's that chap that used to preach on top of garbage cans from Christ church. And he said, he, I can't remember the guy's name at this time, but he said, he knew you personally. And uh, I was just a great time. He, cause he heard me using the law and evangelism. <laughs> so, so Ray, why, why do you think that although some people initially are like, Oh, this is a law. Why do you think that even someone who's all grace is going to kind of sees the beauty in it? I mean, I know why, but I, I don't think people understand like God's plan when he, when we start with that first. Yeah, we've got to see ourselves as a doctor with a cure to cancer. We've got a mm-hmm. patient who's terminal, but thinks he's perfectly well. So what am I going to do as a doctor? I'm going to point out those symptoms. If I don't take the time to point out the symptoms, he's not going to want a cure. Mm. I'm going to suffice. Say, look, I've got a cure. He said, what are you giving it to me for? I'm not diseased. I'm healthy. Crazy. Mm. Go away, doctor. Mm. You're just being silly. But if I take the time to point out 10 clear symptoms and convince him that he's going to be dead in two weeks, he's going to say, well, what should I do? And I say, it's okay. I've got a cure. What's happened? He's began to thirst for the cure because he's realized he has the disease mm. and the disease is sin. Most people think they haven't sinned. They're perfectly healthy before God. And what the Ten Commandments do is they convince us that we're in big trouble, that we're terminal, we die in our sins, we're going to be damned. And it makes us thirst for righteousness to say, what should I do to be made right? And then in comes the cure, in comes the gospel. It makes sense. It's no longer foolishness to them that are perishing. And so they now appreciate it and appropriate it. They put their hand to the plow and don't look back because they're fit for the kingdom. And so that's biblical evangelism. That's what Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17 through to Mm. uh, 21. That's what Paul did in Romans 2 when he said, you say you shall not steal, do you steal? Mm. You say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? It's what Nathan did with David. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? 
David had committed adultery, had committed murder, he had lied and stolen, he had coveted, dishonored his parents, and it caused David to cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It caused him to cry out against you, and you only have I sinned. That's what we want to happen to sinners. Mm. You know, we're afraid to make people fearful, and yet fear is your friend, not your enemy. If you're on a plane 10,000 feet up, and you know you have to jump, and you're not fearful, and you don't want to put on a parachute, best thing I could do for you is hang you out the plane by your ankles for five seconds. You're going to come back in and say, give me the parachute. What happened? Fear did its duty. It caused you to want to put on the parachute. Fear is your friend in that case, not your enemy. And what I tend to do, or what I try to do, is put the fear of God in sinners. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's a, it's a friend of the sinner. It's not an enemy. It'll help to convince him he's in terrible danger, and he needs the Savior. He needs to run to the foot of the cross. And so we need not to be fearful of fear. There are fears that are, are bad. They have torment, but there is a fear that's good. The Bible says is the beginning of wisdom. That's the fear of the Lord. And I've got a tadpole in my throat. Hang on. It's trying to evolve into a frog. One moment. Okay. <clears throat> got it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I mean, uh, and learning this has been so uh, freeing for me. And I began to teach, uh, to take what I learned from you and what you learned from uh, many of the reformers and Spurgeon. And it was really because of your life and the teaching I heard from you that we started soul fishing ministries all the way back in 2008. So I, I don't know if you realize this, Ray, but uh, living waters and, and your ministry propelled uh, what we do in soul fishing ministries now so much that we even titled it soul fishing ministries, which I got from a kid's song, but uh, I so liked it. And it was such my heart to, uh, to go out to the lost and, I was just so excited because I was the kind of a guy that was looked as uh, in a former church as like a rebel. They always wanted me to, to, to be at, uh, they had these revival services at the time and people were falling over the floor. Uh, nobody was actually getting saved, but you know, uh, they certainly fell a lot. And um, <laughs> I wanted to go out in the streets and share the gospel. And so he saw me as like a rogue guy, but I just so wanted to see people come to Christ um, and so I know you have that heart. Uh, uh, what propels that heart inside of you to see people want to be saved? It's the high, high octane fuel of gratitude. Mm. I cannot express to you the thanksgiving, the praise, the joy, and the gratitude that exploded in my heart the first time I heard the gospel. I thought, what? You know, God made a way for me to be free from the power of the grave, to be free from death. And uh, I have had this explosion going on like an uh, internal combustion engine, engine uh, for nearly 50 years or 50 years in April that drives me to do the will of God. And I do it with great delight. You know, if you don't have that gratitude to God for the cross, you're going to be pushing the car rather than accelerating it. You say yeah. evangelism, what a, what a horrible, I just don't want to do it. But when you've got that gratitude, you just put your foot on the accelerator and you say, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, I get to share the gospel. I'm a co-laborer with Christ. I'm, I'm serving the Lord God of heaven. Mm. Let me just tell you something that just thrills my heart. Nothing much to do with evangelism, <clears throat> but it just I love sharing it. I love my dog and um, I've always had dogs. And if you don't have a dog, you'll think I'm kind of crazy. But if you do have a dog, uh, you'll understand where I'm coming at or from. I, I talk to my dog. He talks back to me. He tells me when there's someone at the door. He tells me he wants something to eat. He tells me when there's a cat on the fence. He lets me know all about it. So I've got this communication with him. I'll get on the floor with my dog. He's kind of little and he'll roll over on his side and then we'll face each other and just stare into each other's eyes for 30 seconds. And I'll say, we went on the bike today, didn't we? And I see his eyes light up and you saw a cat, didn't you? And remember that dog? And you just see him processing information in his eyes. It's just awesome. And his tail's wagging because the master came down to his level. Well, in the incarnation, God came down to our level. Mm. God looked us in the eye. And I tell you, the whole thought of that makes my tail wag. <laughs> I am so excited and continually thrilled with the joy unspeakable that this God who spoke the sun into existence 
This God that created the atoms that make up my eyeballs, this God that knows how many hairs are on the head of every person, sees every, sees every thought of every heart, who holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand, this God became one man, Jesus of Nazareth, and spoke and destroyed death and showed his power over the over the elements and that thrills my heart that god was manifest in the flesh and i think it's one of the the truths that the devil or satan doesn't want even christians to know because sometimes when i say on a youtube channel god was manifest in the flesh christians on the comments saying oh no 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 he was the son of god but the bible says the word that was in the beginning became flesh and dwelt amongst us that he was the express image of the invisible god the God was manifest in the flesh, excuse me, manifest in the flesh and seen by angels. And so that's one of the most thrilling truths of scripture. Uh, and, and the cross even makes more sense that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So we have a glorious message for this world. And when someone gets a grip of it, it's just thrilling and delights your heart to do God's will. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So just so you know, the kind of influence that uh, God has given you uh, in my own life, not only uh, did I start teaching law and evangelism, uh, followed by grace, but uh, for the longest time, uh, uh, my wife and my children were asking me to get a dog. And then when I saw uh, you riding your bike with your dog with the sunglasses. You have made my day. <laughs> and so everything you just shared about the dog, when I get on the ground, you know, I, I understand uh, everything you just said about the dog. It, it, it makes sense. And, and I really appreciate the illustration. And I did buy a pair of sunglasses for uh, for the dog, too. Well, they so. do you know it's actually <laughs> therapeutic for a human being just to pet a dog. It just makes you feel you go to a convalescent home where people are dying of depression. Just take a dog in there and watch them watch their spirits lift. God has placed something between dog and men. Cats are different, but dog and dogs and men that is absolutely thrilling and therapeutic. And, and the thing is, dogs are so faithful. I come downstairs, my dog is going crazy with joy. The tail's wagging, and I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to the dog, you got the right person, you know? <laughs> it's just such a wonderful illustration wow. of faithfulness and, and grace. You can kick your dog, say, don't do that, and kick him. He'll just look up at you, oh, kick me again, I still love you. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Whenever I kneel down, the dog just turns on her back, and she wants her belly rubbed and you know that the, yeah i've tried to tail. talk my wife into being like my dog and <laughs> doesn't work does it work see i want to get home and i want sue to burst out the door push me down and lie up on top of me and lick my face but she just won't do it a <laughs> couple more uh, years that's the dog how long have you been married 50, uh, it's been a hundred and 103 years, uh, uh, 52 and a half, 51 and a half for both of us. There you go. <laughs> now, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. So um, in the intro of the podcast, uh, I had asked a question that you often ask people concerning the issue of abortion. And I know you asked them, fill in the blank for me. It's okay to kill a baby when? And, and I, I love this question. I actually used it today speaking with a former student. I work in, uh, as a phys ed teacher down in Harlem. Um, or I think you say Harlem. Is that, did I say that with the right accent? Yeah, Harlem. Man, you're brave. How many dead marks have you got in there? Isn't Harlem kind of a scary place? It uh, used to be in the 60s and 70s. It was really scary, wasn't it? The Bronx and Harlem and and uh, then it came right. Has it gone back to being scary? Uh, I mean, there's there's still some trouble over there, but um, I've been working in the school there for 18 years and I used to run a church over there. And I think I shared this to you a long time ago. I used to preach on a steel chair every Thursday night and drug dealers would be threatening me. And one day someone oh. pulled a knife out of me and I just pulled out the, the 10 cannons of God's law. And hey. uh, I, I just I wouldn't back down. It didn't matter if he killed me that day. Mm. Um, you know, it was the gospel was going to go out. and There was nothing he could do to stop it. Yeah, what a matter to your dog, though. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it's still it's still terrifying to politically over there so yes. you know that. Yeah. yes and so um uh why did you initially begin to use this question um and what was the reaction of people it was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> i gotta tell you the story i wrote a book called hitler god in the bible and i said to the publishers i want to make a video called hitler's religion 
because Hitler was very religious. He was a, uh, a typical politician, a baby kisser, and talk about God. That's how you get votes. Sure. Just quote God now and then, uh, quote from the Bible and kiss a few babies, and you get in. And Hitler did that uh, until he got in power. So it's fascinating. He had this belief in God, and he actually printed his own Bible. Uh, over 100,000 copies were printed. He had his own Jesus. He was an Aryan. He had 12 commandments instead of 10. So it was fascinating. So I went to the local school, university, college, and I said to a, uh, uh, some guy or girl, have you heard of Adolf Hitler? And she said, no. And I thought, you're kidding. This is absolutely crazy. So I asked another student, same thing. And I thought, this is just nuts. And then I saw a guy another day who was under a tree. It was very bright sunlight and he had dreadlocks. So I thought, this looks like an interesting interview. I said, can I interview you for, for a, a video? And he said, go ahead. And so I... Um, I said, uh, do you know who Adolf Hitler is? And he said, yeah, he was a tyrant. He was a wicked man, a Holocaust, blah, blah, blah. He was incredible. Uh, he just so knew what Hitler did and said, spoke of how evil he was. And so I said to him, uh, so what do you think of abortion? He said, it's a woman's right. And I said to him, you Nazi. And we had a sword fight. And, and, and I, 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 I asked him the question. I said, so tell me, when is okay to kill a baby in a womb? And he just went like this. <sighs> and he couldn't answer his mouth was stopped and I watched him walk off into the distance and I had my camera and I was filming him walk off and I zoomed up on him as he was leaving because it was such a powerful interview what happened and then I pushed the button off and I heard boom as the film came on I had inadvertently in the bright sunlight turned the camera off when I thought I was turning it on and I just sunk and my heart, and I didn't tell a soul for a week. I thought, I just feel such a fool that I missed such a great interview. But that guy couldn't answer that question. Then I thought, hang on, I'll go back and ask more people. So I did. And the same thing happened. And so it was all a mistake and God uses our mistakes. And then we, I had about six guys who just could not change their minds. And remember Easy, the president of our ministry said, you've got these guys, you've got to get some women. You know, so we went out and uh, I, we looked around for girls and I got this wonderful interview at Huntington Beach with that girl, uh, the blonde girl. And uh, suddenly we didn't have a movie, a video on Hitler's religion. We looked back and thought, this is a pro-life movie. And so we called it 180. And to date, it's had 4 million views on YouTube. We've given away uh, over 100 uh, DVDs. Do you know what they are, brother? Glenn? Uh, uh, is that a streaming service? I, I, don't, <laughs> know, I don't know what that means. Uh, actually, um, uh, uh, Phil sent, gave me a video too of that one. So I'm very familiar with that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Pastor Phil. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Praise the Lord. It was just so wonderful that, uh, <clears throat> that that happened. And uh, and I thank God for that. And what's happening with that question is that you're appealing to someone's conscience. Is it a baby? Yeah. Okay. Tell me, when is it okay to kill a baby in the womb? Conscience says it's never okay. Don't you dare say it is. And so it's very powerful when you appeal to the conscience. Conscience has driven men to suicide. It's so powerful. It's like a, if you've got a tender conscience, it's just like a thunder. I've got a great video of a, a Christian girl. It's coming up on a YouTube channel. It's just past 190 million views, which is so exciting. <clears throat> anyway, she's a blonde girl wearing a yellow hat, I think, coming up soon. But she says to me, uh, she was a Christian, loved the Lord. And then uh, she didn't know how to witness. So I said, let me tell you how to witness. So I took her through the commandments. And I said, have you ever used God's name in vain? And you know what she did? She said, oh, yes, yes. She said, I actually, when I'm skateboarding, sometimes I fall over and I say, and she blasphemed. And I was horrified. And she laughed like it was a belly laugh. And I said to her, would you do that with your mother's name? And you should have seen the conviction. It was like a thunderclap, just took the smile off her face and you can see fear in her eyes. It was just great to get it on footage to see the power of the conscience. And, and she knew what she was doing was wrong and she probably had a false conversion. So taking her through the law made her appreciate the cross. And now she might share her faith with others, but uh, it's a very powerful interview. Wow, wow. So I, I one of the things that, uh, that's been helpful um, to watch you. And I've, again, I've probably watched um, every uh, video that you've ever put out. <laughs> I'm a groupie. <laughs> I know. And I, I love easy and I love Mark and I connect with those brothers. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm like a living waters groupie. <laughs> um, 
So I'm going to have to go to Living Waters Anonymous pretty soon, I think. But <laughs> well, no, it's a 10 step program. 10 step program. That's right. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I appreciate is that um, you have you, the, the, you have a nice mixture of using logic, uh, sound, biblical questions, indicatives, imperatives, interrogatives, um, as you have conversations with people, uh, very quick witted. And how does all of that like mix together? Um, and again, can somebody like learn to do that? Yeah, you know, tone is so important. Um, and I cultivate the tone, but it's not a, it's not a s superficial cultivation. The tone should be a coming from a fountain of love. Sure. So if you really love someone, you're going to be firm, but use a tone of love uh, for them. Um, let me illustrate. I, I say good morning to some people that I don't know. And I can say, I can say this, good morning, as I walk past, or I can say, good morning. One says, yeah, yeah, it's a good morning. The other says, I really care about you and I hope you're having a great day, just by the tone. And you can make sure that is mixed with your reasoning with people. We're talking about people who are going to hell, yes. that, it, that it could be struck dead tonight in their sleep or on their way home. So there must be that concern. So I often say to people, I did it today. I had two people I, I got on camera and one was just, a, just an arrogant Muslim. She was just awful. Wouldn't even let me get to the gospel. She said, you had your five minutes and just walked off. Then I found this other young lady who was humble hearted and I said to her at the end, I said, you know, I wasn't winning with her. She said, I'm still, I'm, I, I'm not that concerned. And I said, well, can you hear a, a concern in my tone? And she says, yeah, I can. And that's a victory for me because if they can feel I'm concerned, they're going to say, this guy really loves me. Why? Why was he talking like this? And it's because we're horrified at the thought of anyone going to hell. And, and whenever we talk about hell, we should talk about it with a tear in our eyes. I think uh, William Booth said, or Catherine Booth. Who cares who said it? It's uh, it's important that we do have a tear in our voice. Yeah, yeah. And do you think? And do you think that's one of the reasons why some people feel evangelism is very difficult? Is it is a chore? It is something they have to do, and it's like they, it's not. Hey, these people don't know. I I got to tell them the truth, and more just yeah. I got to go out there and do my numbers, and if I don't get a positive response, when even a negative a response is better than nothing like i want someone even if they're upset to you know as long as they're not upset at something i said about you know to hurt their feelings but it's just about what god has said that yeah. to me is a powerful experience i had a dinner with a, a friend and um she was a christian she had a non-christian there and the person was getting very agitated and very upset and she was angry at god and i'm i'm thinking good now i'm gonna you know let's get to the bottom of why you're upset my friend was like no let's just stop uh, you know you're, you're irritating her and i'm like no like this person was on the on the verge of tears this is a good experience at the very least at the end of this she's gonna know why god loves her and what happened you know but the, the opportunity was lost and i regret that to this day you know when you go witnessing with someone who doesn't understand what you're trying to do it is like you've got two enemies you've got mm -hmm. the devil and you've got that person saying oh, don't make this person feel uncomfortable they're gonna cry don't make them cry no no They've mm -hmm. got to be made to feel uncomfortable. They're lying in mm -hmm. bed and their house is on fire. You want them to feel uncomfortable. You want them to be alarmed and run out of their house. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the analogy is the firefighter. You know, Charles Spurgeon so rightly called evangelism an irksome task. It's annoying. Seriously, I'd far rather watch an old black and white movie on a Sunday afternoon than go on my bike looking for sinners and witnessing to them. But I can't sit and do nothing. A firefighter can't sit in his truck and read a book when the house is burning. He's got to get out and get courage in his heart and willfully reach out and pull them from the fire. And that's the analogy scripture uses in the book of Jude. So, you know, um, I was just thinking today, we shouldn't be fearful of failure because failure is so often the path to success. And success for the Christian is faithfulness. Mm -hmm. It's not getting a decision. It's just being faithful and pleading with sinners. And so when, when faithfulness is my object that's where i'm heading for i just want to be faithful to god i want to share the gospel with this person be a true and faithful witness to them and before god when i come away i haven't got a decision but i've done that which god required of me and that gives me great joy mm. yeah amen mm. amen so uh we go out on the streets uh every saturday and we share the gospel but we've been burdened to restart 
um, a ministry which we're now which we call the major ministry. <clears throat> and uh, when I say this name to you, you're going to know it. Angela Bale. You know Angela Bale. Was she in nine one one? Yeah, she was in nine one one. She was a member of our church. Uh, she's now doing very poorly. She has dementia if, if things are not good for her health wise, but she, she kind of started this, uh, pro-life ministry in our church. She would go out faithfully all the time. We would join her sometimes, but, uh, I just felt very burdened to restart this ministry that, that, uh, that she had a heart for. And I did too, but, uh, so we started to go out once a month and I started to do pro-life apologetics training in the church and we started going right there, 15 feet away from the front door and just pleading with women, um, to, you know, to turn to Christ, of course, because we want to do biblical evangelism, not just uh, pro-life because pro-life people can still end up in hell if they're yeah. not pro-Jesus. And so we don't want to do that. Um, so it, I don't, I don't know if you have gone uh, to the abortion clinics, but uh, any, any wise insights that, that you might do if you were going uh, in front of an abortion clinic, you're 15 feet away from the door. There's ladies right there online. There's escorts to keep them, to keep the Christians away from them. And, uh, you know, basically tell the ladies, you don't have to listen to them. Um, Brother, uh, let me encourage you because 15 feet is wonderful. New Zealand just passed a law saying that it's, an, it's a free, it's a no fly zone for Christians. You're not allowed to go, 150 meters to an abortion claim that's how far away you have to stand that has infuriated me that they're, they're facilitating the murder of children in the womb in the name of freeing those people to do so without a what they call harassment you know what i would do i would take this yes because a picture is worth a thousand words and i had no feelings about abortion and i have gone to clinics i felt I've had no feel. I had no feelings about abortion for 18 months as a Christian. Hmm. I had no idea what the issue was. And the first time I saw an abortion photo of babies in a bucket in a in a Canadian abortion ho uh, hospital, so called, I was horrified. I immediately got it blown up to 18 inches, and I took it into the local square where I was open air preaching each day with the gospel. Held it up to the crowd and said, "This is what the issue is." And then I saw there was actually, by coincidence, an abortion, um, pro-abortion pro um, tent with pictures and things of women in that, saying it's a woman's right to choose. And I noticed they had forgotten to put a picture of an aborted baby. So I put mine up on their notice board and I hit with a, with a handbag by some woman that was there. So that was my beginning with the pro-life ministry, what a battle it is. Wow. And, wow. and, 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 and for the, for those of us in the U S that's over 495 feet, um, yeah. distance and, yeah. and, and, and to think about it, like, uh, Angela had the same, uh, at, so, and I think we, if we have it better off here in the U S Angela was actually had to go to court over this. And one of the arguments they made was when we say, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Was that we were threatening people, people's lives by mentioning the fact that they, that they're mortal. Um, and so it's more subtle, but it's the same thing here. It's, it's not acceptable to, to, to the powers that be. Yeah. We, we feel like we're, <clears throat> we're, we're at hell's gates trying to redirect traffic, um, you know, toward, toward the gospel, toward the cross. Um, mm -hmm. and it is very intense and we feel the opposition because there's, there's 15 to 20 escorts out there sometimes. And the only reason they're there is because we're there. If we wow. weren't there, they wouldn't be there either. They're volunteering and uh, there's a, there's a security officer there. And I said, listen, every time you, you grab that door and open it up, you're, you know, you're, you're letting people uh, in to die. You know, understand that. Um, and some of the ladies have gotten angry and many of them have said, you know, my, I, my God uh, is good with me doing this. My God doesn't judge. And I said, well, I wow. agree with you because you know, your God doesn't exist. Your God can mm -hmm. judge, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. the God of the Bible, he does judge and he judges this as murder. And I tell them, I love them. I care about them. I plan on pleading for them. Uh, like you had shared before, you know, um, you want to have the the aspect of love in your voice that you have a, a genuine care and concern and we've connected with a pro-life um pregnancy center three miles away and so we're asking ladies if they want we'll drive them there and they can go get a free ultrasound they can give their baby up for adoption they can get free counseling um domestic violence counseling if there's situations that are home and so we're we're trying everything we can um you know in in this respect 
And you made two incredible movies, which uh, I've used and will continue to use, 180 and Seven Reasons. So uh, what propelled your heart to, uh, to make those movies? I know that you shared that one of the things you started asking the question, um, you know, with wanting to make the book and, and the video on Hitler, but you made an, a second video as well called Seven Reasons. I have no idea why I did that one. <laughs> well, you know, YouTube is such an incredible way to reach the lost. So I am continually um, thinking of ideas. And I've got one coming up called uh, Will Smith um, asked the dumbest question I've ever heard. And he really did. And I, I can't remember exactly what we're going to call it. But it's Will Smith encouraging people to skydive. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I like to ask people, I say, so what's your bucket list? What's on your bucket list? I'd like to try skydiving. I said, well, tell me, what would you be, what would your last thoughts do you think would be as your, your parachute's got twisted and you're going towards the ground, you've got 20 seconds to think about uh, your last thoughts, what would they be? And I, and I asked this lady this and she says, oh, I think about my children. I said, you know, a girl at our church, 17 year old, fell to her death skydiving. So a lady in Northern California wasn't stupid. She took a, um, an instructor with her, and when her parachute got twisted, her friends heard her screaming, and when her body hit the ground, they felt it shudder from 100 yards away. Got friends who lost their 24-year-old 20, son through an accident, skydiving accident, and I can't tell you how it devastated them. And I've uncovered statistics of hundreds of people have died skydiving in the last 20 years, hundreds. But they say oh, it's, it's not as dangerous as driving a car. You know, I'm not a killjoy. I like roller coasters, roller coasters, but Six Flags have had billions of people ride roller coasters and not one death. So if you're going to skydive, think twice about it. Think about what, you, what, you, what your last thoughts would be. And if you're a Christian, don't throw your life away. Don't risk your life. Go to a university, stand up on a soapbox if you want to drain in the wash. It'll scare the living daylights <laughs> out of you. Or drive on the 91 in Southern California. Every Saturday, I think I'm going to die as I'm getting up a free on an on a on ramp because I've got to get across four lanes of traffic. And I'm in a little VW Beetle. And all these SUVs are thinking to themselves, that guy hasn't even got a right to be on the free with a little rat trying to get across like this. I'll run him down. And every Saturday, I think I'm going to die. And that's an adrenaline rush. So if you need an adrenaline rush, preach the gospel in the university or go on the 91 freeway, but don't risk your life. So when I have these ideas, um, I will make them into a video that can sometimes get a million views, especially with a celebrity like Will Smith and just bounce off. And because he's talking about when you're going to skydive, Everything within you is saying no, and you're so fearful, so terribly fearful. I'm going to button and say, that's your God-given will to live. That's a fear that God's given you not to risk your life. Because he said, just do it, just do it. And so uh, uh, things like that can get a lot of views. And Seven Reasons has got a lot of views. And people say, are you using celebrities for the gospel? Well, Paul did in Acts 17. He took the celebrities of his day the famous Greek poets who were secular, and he quoted them. They were godless Greek poets. Why? Because he knew it would touch, uh, he'd touch the ears of his hearers because they were familiar with those Greek poets he was quoting. And so celebrities are a great um, springboard to preach the gospel because we get when we get a good celebrity, a little bit of uh, conflict in there, it can uh, get a lot of people coming under the sound of the gospel, and that thrills us. Sure, sure. So recently we started also thinking about going to our uh, one of our local uh, universities, besides in, in addition, going to the abortion clinic and asking people what they think about abortion um, at the universities as well. Um, so would you recommend that that's a good idea as far as um, because we're here in New York, most of the uh, professors in our universities are extremely liberal. And I don't think that anyone actually asked them uh, challenging questions you know, the students that are sitting in the cesspool of liberalism um, and challenge their thoughts with, with scripture and logic. Yeah, asking questions is a great thing to do. You know, do you think there's an afterlife? Do you think you're a good person? What do you think of abortion? Why do you think it's a woman's right? Do you think it's a, a baby in the womb? Things like that. And like this little fella here, take that with you because that's going to, hold a lot of water it's going to be so concrete because you're showing them that it is actually a baby in the womb at 11 weeks 
Amen. Glenn, can you show that that video and maybe Ray can tell us, um, you know, the, the little postcard he just made? Let me just set this up. This is a little card that of a uh, an eleven week old baby in the womb. There is here. It's going to move in a minute. There we go. This is actually three D. Uh, um, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a an animated picture that shows animation or three D may be worth a thousand pictures because. The argument with most people is it's not a baby in the womb. This shows it is a fully formed baby in the womb. That's actually a, a gift that was sent to us by the printers. It's a little clearer, but it shows actually what's happening. <clears throat> and then on the back, they come in packs of 10. On the back, it's got the gospel, but it starts with three questions. If this was an unborn puppy, could you um, kill it? Yeah. Most people couldn't because any life is precious. And then it says, what's a good reason for taking the life of this 11-week-old baby? And then us, do you think you're a good person? It goes into the good person test. Mm. So we think this is going to save lives. People are going to see this and uh, change their minds about abortion. Yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> really loved and appreciate uh, that. Just ordered 50 of them today. As soon as I got your text um, uh, with, with the, the link to it, went on and, and immediately ordered 50 and plan on... Uh, using them as soon as they come in uh, would love to get on something larger. So the ladies that were 15 feet away from uh, can see that. Um, well, I just got, I'm just getting prices from this. When I looked at it, I thought, man, these should be bigger. Something you can hold up and people can see away. So I think I'm getting about two feet by 18 inches. Would that be a good size for you or even a little smaller or bigger? Uh, that's a good size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last time we had the escorts put up umbrellas, and on one side, so the ladies couldn't even see us, but, but they still could hear us. Yeah. And so well, we've had the police called on us at times, but the police never bother us because we're not breaking any laws. Yeah. And I, um, I'm very kind and respectful to other police officers. I tell them that we're praying for them, uh, that we believe their lives matter. How can I pray for them? Um, I tell them my dad was a police officer, which he was. And, uh, you know, we're out here preaching the law of, of God so that people will come and repent and turn to Christ and that they should obey their authorities as well. And we're not breaking any laws. So uh, do we Let me tell you a little bit about my attitude sure. to police. I don't know if you heard me speak about it. I've been stopped over a dozen times by police. And because I'm from New Zealand, where New Zealand, like England, for most of their history, the police just had sticks. Someone right. was yeah. naughty yeah. that hit him with a stick. They wouldn't shoot him. So when I came to the U.S., if I got approached by a police officer, I would say, he's got a gun. That's ex what I would think. This guy has got a gun. Yeah, I yeah. haven't even seen guns. And uh, I thought, if I move quickly, I put my hand in my pocket or whatever, he could kill me. Mm. And so I always have that mentality when I'm approached by a police officer and I'm a yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Yes, to move? Yes. I would love to move. Uh, where, where would you like me to preach? They said, well, just if you go 50 yards down there, that'd be great. If you're nice to the police officer, they're nice. Yes. You. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So simple. Yeah. I, I've, I've used that in my life and it's, I've never had an issue. Right. Yes. You know, they're doing their job and we're here to, to, you know, the Bible commands us to, to be respectful of those in authority. So, yes. One time we had a, uh, we have this thing called the prayer stand and I should send you a, uh, a link for that, Ray. It's pretty cool. Um, it's a, it, it goes up 10 feet and says prayer on the top and it has these seat belts and off the seat belts are hanging these compartments and you put gospel tracks in them to um, a lamppost. And the woman was just, she was livid and said to the police officer, he's got this tied to a government lamppost. He's got to move that. And the police officer said, well, I think that makes it more secure. So uh, I think he should keep it there. And then when he left, she was so angry. She was yelling at me. And I said, ma'am, you know, uh, you call the police. They're the authority. The authority has given us the authority to be here. And under the authority of God, we're going to stay here and preach the authority of God. And so uh, we just stayed there and preached the whole time and, and we didn't have to move at all. And so they've been very good with us, the police, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Um, and it's really never been a problem. And so um, really, uh, you know, uh, been an incredible blessing. Now, what part does this prayer uh, play in your personal life and in the importance of your ministry? Well, it's my oxygen without it. I'm dead. 
my motivation was one word from Jesus, one verse uh, to pray. Without me, you can do nothing. And I don't want to do nothing. I want to achieve great things for the Lord. So for 38 years, most nights each week, I got up to pray around midnight. When I turned 70, which is a couple of years ago, and by the way, when you get to my age, uh, you turn from a grape to a raisin over a few years. <laughs> I thought it was a kiwi. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah right. and, and I found when I turned 70, I get up to pray and I'd fall asleep while I was praying on my knees. Night after night, I just got to sleep. Never happened before. So I gave up getting up at night and I've been praying during the night in bed, which doesn't help because I got to sleep also. But I, I try and pray without ceasing because prayer is the oxygen, the, oxygen, the, uh, the, the Christian needs to live. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And um, that if we don't have that oxygen, yeah. I mean, how, we, how are we going to be propelled? Uh, a friend of mine often says that when, when your cell phone runs out of, of juice, you have to plug it in to communicate again. And so how much do we need to uh, plug into the power of God and communicate with him to be energized to go out and do exactly what he's called us to do? Let me tell you the content of most of my prayers. Um, every day, I, I just feel like a, a tape recorder. Remember what a tape recorder is, brother? I feel like... Uh, <laughs> I've read about it. I've read about yeah, it. I've seen pictures. <laughs> um, but I, I plead with God for wisdom. Every day, I, I just say, Lord, you've got to make me wise, not to make money, not to get power, but to reach the lost. Make me the wisest person on this earth when I speak to sinners. Give me wisdom. And I just, because the Bible says, if you thirst and cry after wisdom, God will give it liberally. And so I hold God in humility and in the fear of the Lord to his promises. He's got to give me wisdom because I don't want to achieve nothing. I want to say right, do right, think right. And that's what wisdom will do for you. God gave wisdom to Solomon when he asked it. And God was, if I may say so, thrilled by that. Mm. And so wisdom is the principal thing, scripture says. He that gets wisdom loves his own soul. So that is the, that's the chief uh, meat of most of my prayers, just asking God to make me wise. Amen. What more do I need? Now, you have, I believe, one son, Daniel's son, right? And Rachel is your daughter. Yeah, I've got another son too. Oh. There's Jacob, Rachel, and Daniel, biblical names. If you had more kids, there were going to be Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so um, as you were raising them, what did you do to train them in, in the things of God? We like had that, devotions every night. Okay. Family devotions. I'd call out reading time, six o'clock. It wasn't legalistic, but it was a lot of fun. We start off with a Bible reading, read for about five minutes, discuss it with the kids. Then we'd do a Bible play when the kids are real little. If it was Lazarus um, or David and Goliath or, and stuff like that, play it out. And the kids didn't really enjoyed it. <clears throat> then we'd have a memory verse they learned. And at the end of the week, if they remembered their memory verses, each of them got a candy bar. And so it made it fun. Uh, it was um, We had devotions, I think, 3,000 times over the years. I remember having them. And uh, my kids are all loving the Lord. Two of them work for the ministry. And my daughter's married to Easy. She loves the Lord, so I'm I'm very grateful. Amen. Yeah, I met I met Daniel, and of course I met uh, Easy. Um, actually, preached with him at a conference. Uh, he's pretty funny. I, actually, all you guys have that same humor. Do you set the atmosphere for them, or it's a it's a form of insanity? <laughs> um, now you've come to New York before and preached. When's the last time you came? Do you recall? No. I don't. Oh, yes. About three years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, we went to, what did we do in New York? I can't remember, but we went to Times Square and I interviewed somebody there in Times Square. And uh, I think we, I can't remember. I, I think I had to speak somewhere. So, uh, yeah, a, a friend of really bad. I'm fading fast. Can't remember why I went to New York. But I got to tell you, I absolutely love it. It was for the pizza. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love New York. It's just magical. I remember I was there just before Christmas, and quite seriously, the atmosphere of the, the, uh, just the chestnuts and the yellow taxis and the busyness and the Christmas atmosphere and I in the Empire State Building, I really seriously felt like Superman was just going to come zooming down at one point in time. It was just so magical. 
love New York. Nice place to visit. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- w- one thing I know, and I get, and I sometimes get used to it, is just when we get to, to evangelize and we're by a train, and you know, like a hundred people just kind of hit you in five minutes, and you preach. And you try to take a deep breath and, you know, you want to collect yourself. Another hundred people come from the next train and it's just like waves. You can talk to 10,000 people in one day. Wow. That's one of the benefits is like, you know, and, and, and to have someone come back six, seven months later and said, I heard you guys, you know, outside preaching and I'm here to come, come to the church. It's just a, a blessing. I don't know. It's anywhere else in the world that you can kind of get that constant stream of people. It's not about numbers, but it's also just you know that you're reaching someone. That's at, at some I don't point mind that being day. about numbers, brother. I want to reach a lot of people. Yeah, right. that's true. <laughs> that's true. Now, Ray, are you coming to New York anytime soon? No, I've given up traveling. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I've been on two thousand flights. Wow. How do you get to work it was, then? It was bad enough without COVID. Oh. <laughs> mm, mm. I can so, imagine uh, that. Yeah. So when I people say, "Would you come and preach at a conference?" I'll do a Zoom. They said it'll do. So okay. that's great. I can see my wife in a minute. I'm not stuck in a hotel. I'm going to spend three mm. hours in an airport before I get on a plane and sit right. there. Right. Yeah, right. I can't right. imagine it's easy. Definitely can't imagine it's <laughs> easy. Amen. Well, um, yeah, this, uh, this, this pro-life ministry has really um, just really gripped our hearts. And um, do you find that people are really willing to speak concerning this? Regarding the gospel or pro-life? Yeah, both. <laughs> well, I, I think most, pe- most people haven't, don't know the issues when it comes to abortion. They've been lied to about it being a fetus rather right. than a baby. So I think that is well worth Christian taking the time to do that. But never forget that, as you said, our agenda is to see people saved from a very mm. real hell. And we never want to forget that agenda. Well, amen. Amen. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really looking forward to uh, having this time with you. Um, I don't, uh, are there any particular resources that you would recommend? I know we talked about the 180. We talked about seven reasons. Uh, the postcard is available and we'll put some links up. Any additional resources that you would recommend to others? Yeah, YouTube channel. Share our YouTube with others. We, people have been getting saved because mm. someone's taken the time to say, I'd love to know what you think of this. And they share one of our YouTube uh, videos. So, as I said, 192 million views. That is absolutely thrilling. You know, the Apostle Paul would go crazy if he knew what we had. You yeah. Know, Billy yeah. Graham Crusades would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get, you know, like 100 churches to gather together so he could preach to, you know, 80,000 people in a stadium. We can reach 192 million and it hardly costs a thing. Wow. So, we, so pray for us. Pray that we'll move from millions to billions with the gospel and many will be reached. I appreciate you letting me on your program, brother. Me yeah, too. I appreciate it as well. And um, this will be on YouTube. Now your website is livingwaters.com because we don't used to have to say www anymore, correct? That's exactly. That's a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's definitely a pleasure to talk to you. It's the first time I'm speaking to you and um, I never knew uh, Phil would gush over anyone besides me. So it's, 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 it's a unique experience. I thought I was his number one person, but, you know, uh, I definitely want to say that, you know, knowing Phil and how he speaks highly of you has definitely influenced the way I've seen you, but just want to know my impression has always been the videos. There's so many ways to do it. And I see, see some people who are very condescending, you know, kind of gotcha, you know, trying to get people to look stupid on video. And, and I've always got the impression that, each individual person you were talking to, your goal was to see them saved. And the disappointment I saw wasn't that they were stupid, was but just that you weren't able to get through to them. And I think that kind of shows itself through. And I'm going to pray for you and encourage you in that, that process to keep going. And um, definitely know that I have a, a second version of you here with Phil, and he's, uh, he's on fire for the Lord. And, uh, and, and I'm just grateful for both of you. Amen. Oh, Amen. Bless you. Yeah, the last, thing, the last thing I wanted to say is when uh, I... I ministered with you in Chinatown. Uh, I forgot when it was and you just saw somebody and you were going over to evangelize and your team, you have a great team of people around you. I have to say, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think you had uh, uh, ADOS, which uh, stands for 
attention deficit oh a sinner and you just go run to them and so um and they were like wait ray we have to hook up your audio and your video and everything but like you were just ready to go and i think it's so great that you have a team around you because i have a difficult time out there i'd love to get stuff on video but i'm not thinking about the video uh, you know i have ados as well um you know evangelistically in that regards uh, i'd like to pray for you pray for the ministry yeah Amen. that'd be great uh, Father, I want to thank you for our brother Ray today, Lord God. I want to thank you for the time that we we're able to spend together, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray that the videos uh, that he puts out would be watched continuously, Lord God, by billions of people, and that hearts would uh, turn to Christ ultimately, Lord God. And Father, even as hearts turn to Christ, it's going to turn away uh, from sin and and, and, and adultery and abortion, homosexuality, and the like, oh Lord God. Father, thank you for the training and uh, that I've received from Ray, Lord God, both personally uh, and through all of the resources that he puts out, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would bless this ministry, cause it to grow and prosper, Lord God. And Father, I pray that we would live to please an audience of one. May we continue to go out to seek and save that which is lost and call people that are at the gates of hell to turn and redirect traffic toward the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' glorious name. Amen and amen. amen. Great to see you, brothers. <clears throat> amen. Have a blessed night. Thank you. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.